Welcome into episode 49 of the Landscape Photography Show. On this episode, we're talking with Sarah Lindsay, a photographer who I've been following on Instagram for a long time and have always really enjoyed her stories and now transitioning that over into YouTube. I love watching her tutorials on YouTube on how she's getting her photographs and particularly her style of how she can include herself into the frame and we really get into a good discussion on that particular topic of including yourself into the frame as a female is there a stigma attached to that and how do you debunk that stigma how do you eliminate that from the public eye or public perception so we're going to get into all that plus how Sarah actually got into photography and really worked her way into this style either on purpose or not so much. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into the podcast. I'm here with Sarah Lindsay, and I've actually been following Sarah on Instagram for some time now, and that's how I reached out to her to come on to the podcast and talk with us because, you know, every single time her story comes up on my feed, I click it and watch it because it's amazing what she's able to do in the landscape, whether she's traveling throughout the world or in British Columbia and just photographing some amazing scenes, not only of just the landscape, but also including herself in self-portraits in those and other people in those too. And Sarah, I just want to welcome you onto the podcast. And why don't we start this off? I'm sure you've been asked this before, but how you actually got started and picked up the camera for the first time. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm very excited to be here. So my story kind of starts maybe a little bit backwards. It actually starts with Photoshop. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't start with the camera. Um, I don't even, I, I've been, actually don't even know how many years I've been a photographer because of course the early years are just very hobbyist. But let's say I've been doing this for 10 years. So about 10 years ago, I was hanging out with a friend and he was showing me on Photoshop that he likes to edit images into, and he makes um, like albums for, CD covers back then it was like CD covers so he would design mm-hmm. he would just dis- play just play around in Photoshop and just design things and I thought Photoshop was the coolest program that I wanted to do like similar things not make album covers but just play around play with images so basically when I downloaded Photoshop I was like well now I need images to edit and play around with and that was it I picked up my parents back then it was a Canon I don't know what was it called, like a power power shoot, power shot. Mm. It was like a point and shoot camera. And I just started taking images around their farm and taking photos of my brother and his girlfriend. And that slowly started to lead me to kind of look more into photography. And then I started looking in all the different genres. And for landscape photography, the first thing I became interested in is something I never shoot anymore. It was actually star trails. I just thought like the whole process of creating star trails was so fascinating that that's what I jumped into first with landscapes and then it just took off from there I've never stopped since and that is basically how my story starts 
have you always been that kind of person to grab onto something and just keep going with it until you run out of steam? Uh, with photography, yes. Other stuff, no. So that's, I, I kind of also see that as that I know how important photography is to me if like other things come into my life and they just don't even make the cut of mm-hmm. my interest. Like they don't maintain my interest. So for sure, photography has been this huge thing for me that's just stuck. No matter how frustrating, no matter how exciting, it's always there. It's basically a part of me. I consider it like half of me is photography. What do you think grabbed you about it? Um, oh, that's such an interesting question because I'm actually not like surprisingly, I think when people think you're a photographer or I I don't know, a painter or anything like that, that you're naturally artistic. I'm not. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, I was not into arts at all. I don't I never looked into it. I never took any of that in school. I was actually very athletic and just this crazy wild high school girl that was really chatty and I didn't I didn't have anything like deep about me or just not not much going on other than hanging with friends in sports and then when I got into photography it's amazing how like it totally shifted me as a person and now I have to be more artistic and learn about art because that all helps you through photography what sports did you play um my main sport was baseball really that softball softball we have to call it softball for us ladies oh those are the best days of my life this is the funnest times is playing baseball I played pretty much every sport like in our physical education class I was always really involved in it I was in dance anything active I was involved with your your position in baseball was what uh okay so it's really funny because I was actually terrified of the ball <laughs> and I, like I was always terrified if I played first, second or third base that it would the batter would hit it directly like in my face or something. But my main position was a bat catcher. Okay. And isn't that weird? Like I'm afraid of the ball, but I take the like I I'm taking those pitches that are coming right at my face. I think I just felt safe because I had the gear. And then when they tried to put me on another base, like first, second, or third, I panicked. I don't have protection. (laughs) I I just, I'd always, every time the ball would come at me when I was playing any of those other bases, I would actually turn my back, which is really dangerous in baseball. You should never do that. Probably not what you want to do. No, I also pitched a little bit, but my main, I was way better at back catching. Mm -hmm. That's what I I was a pitcher throughout when I played baseball and that was my number one fear was like, you're throwing the ball so hard and they're hitting it with metal bats directly at you. And you're the first person before the infield to take the hit. So like if they hit it right at you, it's a one second reaction that you have to make to get out of the way or try to make a play on it. Exactly. That's, I can, that's probably why I was afraid of all the other bases because you're so close when you're in the outfield. Oh God, who cares? You can take a nap and like when the ball comes your way, I'll go run and try and get it. But it's yeah, you're not getting like that direct hit. So I played, I was a pitcher. I also played outfield. So my team's strategy was we had a guy on our team who could throw just insane heat. I mean, this guy was hitting mid nineties in his pitching And he was our starter. He would pitch seven innings and then they would bring me in out of the outfield because I could throw 
pretty decent, like mm -hmm. in terms of putting the ball where I wanted it to go, mm -hmm. but I was much slower than he was. So everybody was way out in front of the ball. And, you know, I was getting all these strikeouts, not because I was that good or could throw mm -hmm. it that hard, but just because the other team wasn't used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get back to photography, though. I know. This is a baseball podcast now. <laughs> well, you know, I love sports so much. Like, I, I get so... I remember I had Nick Page on, and we spent, like, the first 10 minutes talking about golf. So, like, I get really worked up about sports. That's a good um, thing. It's good you have uh, <laughs> other passions. I loved that. Those were the best years. In, in my, like, elementary and high school life, baseball was my best time. Just the funnest memories being on a team with all those girls. In terms of professional photography, like how has that side of photography treated you? Well, it's obviously been a process of growing and 2020, I'm sure for many of us photographers has just been a complete blow. I'm still dealing with that just like the now like the mental health part of it, what it actually did knowing that things will get better eventually things will get better 2021 20, and and beyond and just to go through this time and just keep pushing but as a career it has been a slow growing process i think that a lot of people going into this industry need to be aware just how long it can take and the effort that it takes to put into it to make this a career but for 2016 2016 was where business really started to go up for me 2017 2018 2019 were my biggest years and it was only on the rise for 2020 i was fully booked for weddings i have tours i next month i'd be uh, leading a photo tour in new zealand and then obviously the pandemic came and everything's gone i had a few weddings i've had few weddings left i'd say one like every two months but they obviously scaled back to smaller weddings and a few family sessions here and there, but everything else is just pretty much gone. So with that happening, I had to really think, okay, what do I do in this situation? Everything's just gone. And that's where YouTube came in. I felt I have this perfect opportunity to put myself into YouTube, which is not an easy thing to take on when you're doing so much other photography stuff. So for me, it was a, it's now or never kind of moment and that I feel people are more likely now to be online watching videos looking at this stuff because we just can't do what we used to do anymore what have you learned about yourself and your photography through YouTube so far oh wow so much stuff I really love YouTube no matter how long it's going to take to grow YouTube I definitely I'm sure you can relate to this because you're also there um I before I started doing the videos I just mentally prepared myself this is going to take a really long time and mm -hmm. just be okay with that you're not going to make money right now you're not going to make money just keep pushing and keep doing it and it took a while to like start it it, it I would say I don't maybe other people go through this as well but there's always like the YouTube idea and then it's like oh yeah but you just never get around to it because it's a lot of work and Finally, when I started doing it and started becoming consistent with putting a video out every week, I've learned so much about myself. I've learned that one of my biggest strengths is talking and communicating with people and that I feel my absolute best and happiest with photography when I'm teaching and inspiring. 
So I know I want to take it that direction and roll with it because I feel good doing that. And if I feel good doing that, I'm going to be my best self to everybody else and actually provide valuable knowledge and content. Have you had good feedback so far? Yes, I only ever get good feedback. I've talked to this about, I've talked to other photographers about this, that I've actually never had negative feedback ever with anything photography now and I thought for sure a couple of friends warned me they're like people on YouTube can this is kind of where the nasty will start to come out not on Instagram but when you go on YouTube it's a whole other level and so far every single person has just left me huge comments of just being like keep going keep doing it or they will come on Instagram and personally message me and say this is what I loved about your video but I did notice these few things. Maybe you could look at that for your next one. It, all the response has only been positive. And that's like another sign to me that is like, I just need to keep going because I really rely on feedback from people. How have you found the video aspect to be in terms of a learning curve? Because I've talked to a lot of photographers who say either one way or the other, it, it just makes sense and it clicks because it's the same compositional tricks as photography or it's difficult because they're so honed in on the photography side um I, that's, like, that's a tough question I find I think there's a lot to filmmaking um that maybe some photographers might just feel it comes really nat like natural to them but I kind of find them totally different yeah okay there's composition and all that stuff but you're dealing with movement now you're not just dealing with a still and there's ways to be more when you're doing video and having to deal with moving stuff. There's now other things you need to add to make it uh, more eye-catching to people. Like I'm sure lots of uh, YouTubers are learning this as you go. Like your filmmaking is also a process that you have to work at that skill. And I feel it's, I kind of feel like I'm starting at the bottom with the filmmaking in the video. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure, I'm sure there is things that I don't recognize that I've learned through photography that are helping me and kind of giving me an advantage versus someone who just comes into it with no background. But I have found it to be a challenge. In terms of the teaching side, like you said, you love communicating, you love teaching, it's your happiest. You have done such a good job leveraging yourself into that niche, I feel like on Instagram with your stories and how you talk about your shoots and and where you're going to scout and what you're going to shoot during that day. How do you carry that over into YouTube? Well, so with YouTube, uh, so when I went on YouTube, I wasn't exactly certain, exactly like the direction I was going to take it because just to keep in mind that I don't just shoot landscape photography, I do everything. I could talk about pretty much every single genre and give experience with it. So when I started my channel, I was like, okay, do I want to have everything on this channel and just be a generalist? Or do I just want to keep it with like the landscape and focus on that, which it seems to be that it's going to the landscape direction because I just naturally am happiest doing that. So I find what now I'm focusing the most on is storytelling but being able to educate through storytelling, because I think that if people can walk away from watching your video having learned something or either feeling feel inspired, then you're doing a good job and you'll continue to grow. But if it's just like content that is 
doesn't make any sense or there's just no value to it, I don't find it's, it will work out for me. So storytelling has become my focus, which is really interesting because that storytelling and finding like meaning in videos and meaning in photos and being able to tell a story has actually been the one thing I found I would struggle the most with. So I kind of shied away from it. I just felt like I'm not a deep person. I don't have interesting stories or anything like that. And then I realized on my Instagram by just being myself and going on my Instagram stories and talking and be like, I'm going for a hike. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to shoot. I was kind of found maybe people wouldn't be interested in that, but it turns out they really, really like that. And one thing I find that helps as well connect with people is just being yourself and being as positive and bubbly as you can. Not saying that like shy people don't have a chance doing that, but the more happy you are, the more you attract people and they just feel good with you. Well, that brings up a good point. People are a lot of times afraid of being on camera or Mm -hmm. pointing the camera at themselves or setting it up and talking to it. Do you have any pieces of advice besides being energetic and bubbly on camera with other people of actually starting this and if they want to be on camera more, turning that on and going at it full force? Oh, that's a really good question. So I think it's completely natural for every single human being when you first record yourself, record yourself on video and record your voice. your natural reaction is like, heck no, I don't like this. I feel weird. I'm uncomfortable. I sound terrible. Everybody goes through that. And the more you just keep sticking with it and keep putting yourself out there and working through that fear, the better you're going to get. So my advice, if you're not naturally like just a bubbly, energetic, outgoing person, just Oh, no matter who you who you are, what your personality is, make sure you bring the authentic version. That's what people want. Don't try to fake it. So if you're introverted and shy and quiet, that doesn't matter. Just be yourself. You can still like people will pick pick up on your authenticity and that's how they connect with you. Don't I definitely don't recommend going on grumpy though. <laughs> no one likes a grumpy person, but there are shy people out there who are not really that bubbly, maybe a little bit more monotone, not as engaging. But if you are if you just bring your personality to it because we are all unique you're gonna have people that connect with you and they love you and they love your personality if you're like humorous bring your humor to it like there's lots of quiet people who are naturally just really hilarious and when they bring that into their video it's them it shows them they're being real they're being genuine i would say too to add on to that if i may Mm -hmm. is give yourself time to find that because you may not be comfortable in that first video. And I mean, I look back on my first videos and I'm like, that's not really me. Um, I don't know what I was trying to do in that video. Uh, but it takes, I would almost say for a lot of people, a good one and a half to two years to really find your voice of communicating, whether that be, on video, on just social media stories, or putting videos out on social media. Totally, totally. It's also a process I find that can change you. Mm. In what way? I don't know. I just, you're, you're, when you're on video, and you're communicating in that way, and you're showing your personality, 
for me, I, I could totally see it changing me. And because I rely so much on that connection with people and like their feedback that I might start doing, like, I'm still my authentic self, but like, I'll take their suggestions. And maybe let's just say if they're like, Sarah, you talk way too fast to in that. And I'm getting that comment a lot. because I do actually get that comment that I talk quickly. Um, that's something I might have to look at and change about myself, just being like, slow it down, slow down the talking, still be very outgoing and stuff, but just tone it down a notch. So I, I do find it could change you because the feedback that you're getting is about you. It's not about your work. It's like you as a person. You're selling. I feel like you're selling yourself when you're on video and talking to people. You're mm-hmm. presenting you. You're not just presenting your work. Do you still keep your photography number one in terms of what you're looking to achieve when you are going out to film? Oh, that's a good question as well. I was just thinking about this the other day. So what I noticed now becoming a filmmaker on YouTube is that the I'm struggling to make the photography a priority when I'm out filming a video. Mm-hmm. It's, it definitely to me, I'm sure I'll figure this out and it's going to be a process, but I feel like the video is the main focus that mm-hmm. because there's as long as you give yourself some time and it's also, this is also really tricky at sunrise and sunset. So Mm. you need to give yourself that extra bit of time to get to do the video, but you're also battling whatever lights going on, whatever's happening. So you really, I feel it's just going to take time to get in like a system for myself where photography is not suffering while I'm out vlogging, but definitely the filming and the bit like the video takes up the majority of the time and my brain space. Like, what made you think about that the other day? Because I noticed that, so I have, there's a video I have that's going to be coming out soon. It was at this place called Emerald Lake. It's really famous in the Canadian Rockies. And I have like the, the video portion is good, really, really good. But I noticed that the photos are not my best. And I was like, what the, and like the conditions were really good. And there, I'm in, one of the most gorgeous places ever, but like my photography from that video shoot really suffered. It's not good. And I was like, what is going on? My photography is supposed to be improving. And I think that is just because of how much focus the video takes right now. But isn't that kind of how it would be right now? It's still very new to me. It's still a learning process. I have to get kind of in a groove for myself. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Especially mm-hmm. when you're juggling multiple cameras at one time, you're yeah. dealing with motion, you're dealing with, you know, decisions on filters and composition. It's a lot to think about at once. And when you're also the filmmaker, the photographer and the subject, that's also challenging because a lot of mine are self-portraits. So I'm also in the image. But mm. I'm usually like, so there's a lot of my scenes where I'm like, I'm in the dress, I'm talking and I just wear the dress the whole time walk around in it so that's definitely been a challenge but I know I'll figure that out I know I believe that's natural I think most photographers go through it if they come on YouTube in terms of your photography and kind of your style I would say I see a lot of the images on your website which I was looking at right before we jumped on Mm -hmm. A lot of long exposures. Yeah, um, long exposure. Yes. What do you love so much about them? I don't know. It's the, I just... So where I live, um, my main landscape of 
for shooting has been usually a lake. Mm-hmm. So I prefer when the lakes are calm and they obviously have that nice reflection, but that's just not always the case. And I really don't like ripply water. I like it in other people's images. I don't like it in mine. I just suck <laughs> at photographing water that's like wavy or ripples or just, I find it really distracting in my images. And this is why I started doing long exposure photography because I love the smooth water and I love the streaky clouds. I love when the clouds in the water are smooth. But again, in other people's images, I think they do a really good job not shooting long exposures. And then it's naturally just evolved into everything I pretty much shoot. So even with the self-portrait, they're all, they're all long, long exposures. It's not just like the still images. I'm adding another element into it. I've been shooting long exposures probably for about six years. I've been seriously shooting them. And I actually only use one filter. I just use a circular screw-on 10-stop filter. I rarely use anything else. Mm -hmm. I don't use grads. Mm -hmm. I don't use polarizers. I don't. The only other thing I might change to, and it just depends on what the light is or possibly if I'm shooting a waterfall, is I will shoot with a six-stop. Well, this is interesting to me because I don't shoot that many long exposures. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like water and smoothing out the water would be pretty easy to do just because it's constantly moving. You don't have to worry about motion of movement too much. Yeah. What are you looking for in terms of cloud movement and your positioning in the composition? Well, the best thing for cloud movement for composition is if after you do your long exposure, if the clouds um, were coming straight at you, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like the direction that they're moving. So you're either going to get clouds that are just look wild and crazy and you don't know what direction they're going in that that happens when there's like a lot of low cloud mixed with high cloud it just looks like a wild mess or you're going to get clouds that streak right at you if they're moving in that direction or you get the sideways clouds sideways clouds are my least favorite that's when they go in a direction that's not coming at you like at the frame and the ones that do come at you, I find, are have the most impact to draw you into the scenes. Hmm. Because it's like they, they, they streak so much that it becomes like a line. It becomes a leading line. So with your foreground, you've got a solid foreground and a nice streaky sky that's coming at you. You just have a really balanced image that is leading you in, in both ways. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick to tell you about a deal that's going on on my website right now for a limited time and over on visualwilderness.com where I have a lot of my courses available there too. Right now you can go to davidjohnstonart.com and get 33% off all of my courses on how you can improve your photography if you use the code david33 during checkout. Again, that's 33% off off of all of my courses if you go to davidjohnstonart.com and use the code david33 during checkout. In these courses, you're going to learn several new ways that you can improve your post-processing techniques as well as a couple in-field tricks that you can use to create better photos before you bring them into the computer and start editing those images too. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Let's continue down this path of your style and you talked about self-portraits. Do self-portraits help you 
connect with a place in a better way? Um, I'm going to say no. I don't have this. So the self-portraits for me is still fairly new. Actually, mm-hmm. it's August now, so I've been doing them for about a year. So the self-portraits came about just simply because I, 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 my, like my background is includes weddings and like maternity and shooting say females in dresses and I love that in photography I love shooting that and then so with the self-portraits I basically was just thinking well I don't always have a model to put in the image it's a pain in the butt to just bring someone out for one shoot one image that I want to create so it's just easier to use myself so I started doing that because I, I liked the mix of having the female in the dress with the landscape and it was just something for myself something creative that I just wanted to work on and it took off like fire it became this thing that I'm now known for like that yellow dress it's I get comments being it's well they either call it a yellow or a gold dress I now get comments on pretty much all of my images being like if it's if I'm not in it someone will be like but wait you're not in this one where's the yellow dress so actually this might be something you know how like with photography they always say to find your voice or like find Mm -hmm. your thing Mm -hmm. I think that the self-portraits became that for me and I didn't even know it and the reason why I think it became this is because I put it as my own personal creative little journey like it's for no one it's for no one but me it's not for I'm not working for brands with this I'm not selling these images it's just a creative outlet of personal work where I'm not working for somebody else and I think that is what that means when people are like find your niche there obviously is some sort of connection to it with me I did think about if it like conveyed to people that I have such a connection with like the landscapes that now I'm putting myself in in it but I don't feel that I just I just love the feminine look of having the like a female in the image in a dress with the landscape there's just something about it it's like mysterious elegant it just looks it just looks good Are you comfortable with that being your niche Um yeah I am. I didn't really think about this, but I have been like asked, uh, are you using your body to, uh, to like get attention? Are you putting yourself in there for attention? Are you like cheating almost? Basically, are you using your body to gain followers and all that stuff? Are you being an an influencer? I was called an influencer. And it, to me, it was such an odd question. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a photographer. And I don't, just because I'm a woman and I'm in a dress, it doesn't mean I'm looking for attention. It just, it's, it's a, it's an environmental portrait. That's what it is to me. It's showing the environment that I'm in and it's a portrait. Why do you think I, I'm trying to dance around this question a little bit. (laughs) It's it's okay. (laughs) Why do you think there's a stipulation in viewing that as a feminine thing or a body thing when photographers like Paul Zizka, who's well known for putting himself into his own images would never get a question of a body image type inclusion into a landscape. Why is it any different than say someone like Paul Zizka? It's not, I'm just wearing a dress. I can't help that I have like long hair or 
that I'm a woman. It's I don't see it as any different. And I think that there already is the male selfie. And it's up to you how you convey it. And if you want people to, if you want this to take off for you and you're a man, the, the one thing that you have to do is just keep doing it and keep putting it out there. Because that's what I do. It doesn't matter if I'm a female. I just keep working on this now new sort of Im- imagery that I'm creating. And I think that's why it's taking off. I do think that the whole world knows that um, people like to look at women. It just is what it is. I, it's not even anything that I think would be an argument. It just women are pleasing to look at. And I do understand that sometimes there's this advantage of women putting themselves in whatever sort of images that they'll get those views. Especially if it's like an attractive female or say a woman on a mountain with a granola bar in her in tight, tight leggings. Of course, it attracts views. There's lots of people that like to look at that. And it's sad that that's kind of seen as maybe like taking advantage of things. But I feel in my images, if someone thought that of me in the dresses, like oh, these dresses are fully covering my body. They're all the way covered down to my hands like my arms my legs I don't see it as I'm using this to get ahead would you hope to use your style to break that stigma uh I hope so I think the long exposures are doing that for me because there have other photographers that I'm pretty close with and we talk about these things one of them said he he was like he said your self-portraits are so cool because they have like a twist to them He's yet it's not like what other people do. And it's adding the element of landscape photography, long exposures, and self-portrait. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like too many things all in one thing, but it's me. that Those are my strongest areas of photography. Landscape, long exposure, and portraits. Of course, like I'm, I, I find if I keep doing it, it's going to do well because I'm strong at those things. Who's to say it is too many things, though? I know that's true. Like, is it? I thought about this a while ago. I was like, is are the long exposures just like too many kind of elements added into the image? But again, I just like the smoothness of the water and the sky. So I'm usually in a lake. And I mean, I'm not always in a lake, but most of the time I'm in a lake. And I also find that the self portraits, so it's opened me up to when I'm out shooting, I'm really stubborn and I hate it when there's no clouds and it makes me really grumpy. So if it's, you know, a sunset or a sunrise or middle of the day and it's just blank sky I have found that now that I'm adding myself into the images that it's just adding that little bit of extra interest that I don't have to really focus on the sky so much I found this in Death Valley so when I was in Death Valley every day it seemed like we had a bluebird day so it was you know here I I am on a trip I spent money to go out and do this so you I'm sure you understand and other photographers understand it's disappointing when you don't really seem to ever get conditions that you want and that trip was just blue skies all the time mm-hmm. so I was with Josh for a portion like a portion of this trip I was with Josh at the sand dunes that we were at and Josh we Cripps yeah Josh Cripps and we were working together on these portraits and this is where we had like these really deep conversations about it and I just said to him like yeah it sucks that the conditions are not very favorable for landscape photography but I'm going to focus on the self-portraits and that's what I did and I had probably one of the most I'm going to say that trip just helped me grow so much as a photographer and 
for for reasons like that, just like sucking it up and being like, okay, well, I'm not really here for landscape photography. Self-portraits it is. I did them pretty much the whole trip. I did, st- I did still do landscape photography, but everything was a self-portrait from that trip. In terms of the community, like the story you just shared, do mm-hmm. you see the landscape photography community more tight knit than other genres of photography? Mm, that's an interesting question. I want to say yes. So what I, I, I'm, I am a really like bubbly and pretty chatty person, but I actually don't have that many friends in the landscape photography community. And that's something I'm trying to change right now, which is incredibly challenging in a pandemic (laughs) when we can't like travel to go see anybody. So uh, because the Death Valley trip was was recent, it's the one trip where that it was about making friends for me. I'm actually going to talk about this soon in a YouTube video, like the stories behind all these images. So that trip for me was friend building friendships and meeting new people. And I felt like all the again, they're all American photographers, all of them that I met there. I could hang out with them like these would be my friends these would be people I would hang out with all the time and it kind of made me feel sad when I had to come back home because I actually don't have that in Canada I don't have that little tight-knit group of landscape photographers so that is definitely something I'm working on is I want to be more involved with other landscape photographers and because I do find that when we are working together we're creating opportunities for each other and you're growing if you kind of try to do this alone and just not have those friendships or that community involved, you're probably not going to get very far. Why do you think that is with, with our community? I don't know. I think maybe because the more people that you kind of connect with and share ideas with and go out and shoot with, um, you have a better experience when you're out shooting with people guaranteed. I know that some people like to shoot alone. I do have my days where I shoot alone, but if it's a trip, I would much prefer to be with other photographers, creating memories. I just feel you'll be a better photographer. You're happier. You'll be better. You will push each other more. You'll share ideas. You'll only good things come out of working as a team versus working alone. And that's what I found in Death Valley. So when we were creating the sand dune images, he helped me out so much with these photos. I can't thank Josh enough. Um, Like we created these really I find I think they're amazing images and it was two minds working on it there's a couple images where he really helped me out and it made me a better photographer I saw things differently he asked me questions about storytelling and I just think that helps you grow I also think the more photographer friends that you have the more you're involved with each other the more opportunities will come up because they might know something that's happening or they might have a connection to something that you could be involved in but you're not going to get that opportunity if you don't have those friendships so when me and say josh did become friends we're now working together in new zealand to lead a photo tour so that's that's a good uh example of opportunity friendship to opportunity i've always thought it was so interesting because so many people who are landscape photographers either as hobbyists or professionals not all but most seem to be introverted people who are comfortable being alone, shooting, uh, camping by themselves. And it's just always been so interesting to me to see the community mindset around landscape photography on how it can be, like you described, 
so much teamwork and working together go into it to raise the whole community up instead of working alone. Absolutely. All of my favorite memories and favorite stories are with other people. I do have, I actually this, I'd say July, I did a lot of camping in July and I spent a lot of time alone doing photography and it was great. Um, Cause also just in my personal life, I'm working through things. So being alone, I'm like, I need to be alone and just work on myself. So I definitely, <laughs> I definitely see that. And like that side of things of being alone and introverted, creating work, but I don't know. I really feel like teamwork and positivity and supporting each other. There's a direct path for success if you have that mindset. Every time I've worked with someone else, I've had an opportunity out of it. Opportunities are huge in photography. Like you, I I just find the more you just put yourself out there, the more things are going to come to you. I was reading on your About Me page. Mm-hmm. Do you have a degree in photography? Well, I do, but it's I don't consider it anything significant. Like I studied photography for two years. I never talk about it though because I find I learn nothing from it, and what like I learned most of my knowledge from t- uh, teaching myself and things like YouTube. Like mm. everything that I learned when I did like a structured course, I don't remember any of it. And I wasn't, mm-hmm. obviously wasn't really, it was more so about like learning about exposure and diff, learning about different types of photography, but I, 10 out of 10, probably going to recommend you don't need to go to school for photography. You probably will just waste your money. Yeah. That was going to be my question. Well, like, do you actually mean, yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. so much free online education, but even I don't go on this site, but I keep seeing it coming up. I think it's Skillshare. Mm-hmm. that keeps cropping up that I think might be a good alternative to YouTube or to use alongside YouTube. But we all know you can get, man, you could probably become a doctor on YouTube. <laughs> we all, there's so much valuable information on there and it's for free. And you're supporting the creators on YouTube that are working really hard to get that content out to you. I do think it might be a good idea though, if you really admire someone, um, one way to grow for me is to pick a few photographers that you really, really admire. Don't copy them, but like you pretty much kind of follow their journey and what they did. If they sell courses or online ment- like mentoring things or photo tours, do it. The money is totally worth it when you work one-on-one with someone who has lived this and is doing very well at it. You can't replace that knowledge. You can't. So actually, recently, just for YouTube, because I'm like, I need help with YouTube. I, I can't do this on my own. Like, I can figure it out and watch YouTube videos, but it'd probably be really helpful if I had help. So I actually, he hasn't gotten back to me yet, and maybe he'll listen to this, and hopefully he does get back to me. Um, I reached out to Mark Denny, and I wanted to hire him for a, a few, like, one-on-one sessions with me, mentoring sessions for YouTube. Mark? Yeah. Maybe my email went in the junk or something, but like, cause I just like, I just, I look at him and I, I look back at like all his older videos and he's so humble. There's just something about him that like, he's just going to do so well because he's such a humble guy and he knows like the process is hard, but he talks about his process of going through YouTube and he's done this and he's 
doing very well and he's successful and I want to pay him to help me grow. Mark, you're being called out yeah, right Mark, now. Called out. Well, I thought if he didn't um, get back to me, which actually I emailed him, it was probably like a few weeks ago, but if, if it's like not him, then I'm just going to kind of move on. So I do have friends, like I'm sure you know Nigel, Nigel Danson, he's mm-hmm. a YouTuber. So there's him. I thought about next because he's, he's actually one of the photographers that came to me and was like, Sarah, YouTube pretty much like changed my life. I think you'd be really good on it. And that was from my stories, watching my Instagram stories. And he just basically said, you should consider it. Go on YouTube. And so he's in that. And then he's, ooh, he's another photographer that I don't, I haven't met him yet. We're definitely going to meet in the future. I know that. But I feel like I have kind of this friendship with him now. And by having that friendship with him, he's giving me opportunities. Like I judged that contest with him and a whole bunch of other photographers Things like that. He brought me on. There's an Antarctica tour in it's 2022. And he asked me, do you want to come and help educate on it? So another example of making friends with other photographers, look at the crazy things that come to you. So he's going to be the next person that I reach out to and be like, hey, Nigel, can I hire you to school me through this and help me through it? I'm messaging Mark right now on Ah! Instagram. (laughs) hopefully he'll get back to you now i know maybe he well maybe he's like maybe he doesn't want to do something like that you never know you can't like make people do things i just i know that he offers the like one-on-one sessions and not everybody Mm -hmm. not everybody offers those that's actually something i want to start um doing more of the one-on-one sessions like with people i think those are really valuable and they're cheap it's like what let's just say average a hundred bucks to spend an hour or two with a photographer you admire to pick their brain. Mm-hmm. Like what, what is better than that? There is nothing better than that. It's totally worth the investment. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people go to find more about you and, and also to find you on YouTube? Oh, uh, well, the best place to find out the most information about me is Instagram. So Sarah mm-hmm. Lindsay photography on Instagram And then if you really want to know me and just know about me and what I'm doing and who I am, the next best place is to get onto my YouTube. Got it. And then there's also my website. If you, my website displays, I would say where like all the different genres that I shoot. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about photography. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.